Streets of Avalon at the 300 with Super Seth moving up on the outside, a length away, Melody Bell, then Wild Planet and Colding. Streets of Avalon with Super Seth trying to pick it up at the moment at the 150. Streets of Avalon just in front, Super Seth having a devil of a time. Streets of Avalon's brave, Streets of Avalon's won the group one from Super Seth. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Trainer's Heart. I'm Todd Blum. Your host here in the Sports Thought Studios, and we're looking forward to another big episode here in the Trainer's Hut. Special guest today is Shane Nichols, a multiple Group 1 winning trainer based down there at Mornington. Of course, I'm a star and Streets of Avalon more recently, and it's a very special guest today because he's been a bit of a mentor to myself throughout my time in the racing industry. I suppose he started my foray into the game. I started work with him as a stable hand down there at Mornington. A number of years ago, and we've maintained a pretty close relationship since then. So he's uh, been a really good sounding board, and a couple of really good opportunities come through him. So I'm looking forward to having Shane on the show. Shane, welcome to the show. Evening, Todd. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Just uh, joining me on the line after a runner at Pakenham. Nice little win there. Yeah, Tyson Thunder. When he broke his maiden, it was a uh... One of those Thursday nights they've been having uh, maidens plus over, so it wasn't necessarily a three-year-old race, but it was a Victorian bred by a written tycoon, and it was nice to, to tick, him, tick his box and win his race. He's uh, won by two and three quarters, and uh, looked good. No, it's good. Always nice to get a winner from a yearling that uh, you've purchased. Um, just we'll start off with Streets of Avalon, Shane, who of course won the Group One Futurity earlier in the year. And he's been a very good horse for the stable. Just tell us a little bit about Streets of Avalon and the story about, you know, how the boys got involved with him, obviously with the breeder retaining the share, and and he was meant to be a breeze-up horse. Yeah, so Phil Warren bred him. Um, he's bred quite a number of horses uh, that we've raced over the years. And um, he, he said, what am I going to do with this colt? Like, he normally races the fillies. He wasn't really that interested in racing the colt. So... I said, well, if we can breeze him up, sends are ready to run sales if you want to. Um, so we got we had him broken in, gave him a little bit of a prep, and he was getting along quite nicely. So the way the process works is you have to breeze them up over 200 metres under the clock in the videos, etc. And it's about a month before the sale, and in that month period, you have to get the next rate to submit to the sales company. So the you know prospective purchasers can view those. So he breezed up in 10.99, which was quite a respectable time. wasn't the fastest, but it was in the top. Oh, probably 15, 20% of the sale. Uh, and then we had his x-rays done by our vet and uh, he had a few issues on x-rays. So that's a uh, no-no when you go to those ready-to-race sales because a lot of Asian buyers and they have to be clean to go to Asia and uh, Australian market don't speculate that sort of horse. So at that point in time, we had a horse that went nice but had no x-rays, so we had to continue on with him. So he decided to put a few mates in him, valued him up at 20 grand, sold four 10% shares and kept 60% himself. And then at three, he was going okay, won his maiden at Bansdale over a 1,000. And it was not until then that he started to really step up. His next start, he went to Caulfield on Boxing Day uh, and was narrowly beaten in a really good Bovis race. Um, and, he, and, and the maiden was the only race he won at three. He just ran placings in, I think he ran placings in a, a Zedative Stakes. And it was good, um, but he just couldn't win. And then he stepped out at four, and I think he won five or six Saturday metros as a four-year-old and as a five-year-old he went and won a group one and he's won two group threes and a Hariba Stakes which was a listed race um, 1.2 million and 
he's a jet. But uh, he's done one of the remarkable things that horses can't do or struggle to do is he improved from three to four and then he's improved again from four to five. So his next start will be as a late five-year-old into six. God help us if he improves again. Yeah, I think just being a follower of the stable, he's, when you see his, see his name there down the race, he just always seemed to to find that next level and you think, oh, he's, he's racing in town and this could be him and then he wins and then the Hariba Stakes, which is, of course, the double on Mornington Cup Day, your home track, and he got up and won that and then you, then he's in a group three, he wins that a group two and then he got to the group one level and there was a couple of uh, group one races, like the he might have run in a two-rack before that and you think that you know he's just a day for the owners but of course he got up and won he just, he just been owner's dream yeah he, he's oh look they've had the best ride of all time they you know i, I sort of keep saying to him when our rating goes up or we win a stakes race look, he's just gonna find it that bit harder to win now and a bit harder to win now and, um you know he sort of showed us that he was not far from that level he ran fourth in a in a um Rupert clark uh, one by Be Good to Your Mother, and I thought, gee, you know, you, you don't do much wrong and you're pretty honest and you race on speed, and around that 1,400 mark, you know, that's his, that's his quicking a, a, a distance, um, and he can run sub-122 for 1,400, so that's pretty competitive in any race if you can run that time, and, and I sort of come to the Futurity Stakes, Ben Mellon was riding moon against Super Seth and... Uh, Melody Bell and Colding, you know, some really top-class Group 1 horses. I said to Benny, just bounce out and tick along at a good speed here. I said, I reckon if you can run sub-122, you'll be a chance to, you know, pinch this or be right in the finish. And uh, I think he ran 121.7 and and uh, away we went. What's in store for him uh, this spring? Resuming the Bletchley Wing, which will be 1,100, be too short for him. And then he'll just go Menzi, Rupert Clark, all those 1400s, Moon to Stakes, which he's won, Victoria Handicap, which he's already won. Uh, he'll go through all of those 1400s, and some will suit him better than others. We'll go from the current stable star to the former stable star in I Am A Star, and uh, what a ride she gave you, Shane, with uh, the Group 1 Maya Classic, the first three-year-old filly to win the race. Yeah, it was a, uh, an interesting sort of little way that unfolded so i bought an i'm invincible yearling filly out of uh easter two sale for twenty five thousand dollars for a client and this client this lady i bought her for didn't pay me and uh so i'm left with this i'm invincible filly so that what i'm going to do here so i prepared her for a, a ready to race sale and this one x-rayed up pretty good little issue but pretty good and uh she was actually the fastest breeze up horse of the whole sale breezed up in very quick time and I uh, took her to the sale, passed her in for uh, 45000 I wanted fifty, And uh, I noticed that the last bid was a, a dapper gent with a receding hairline uh, standing with a couple of guys I knew. So I didn't know who this fellow was. So I went and approached him uh, and said, look, you were 45 on this I'm Invincible Philly. I think she goes really well. Uh, I want 50 for her. She's got a little x-ray issue. I suggest you look at the x-rays and um, and see how we go, see how you go. So after a little bit of nagging and pushing, he agreed to buy the filly and I said, look, I'd love to train her because I think she's all right. So that filly, uh, the gentleman purchasing was a fellow called Matthew Sambury, who finished up racing on the star, but I'll allude to that in a moment. So we named that filly Band on the Run and she... Um, I'm a Vince star band, so she was the older full sister to I'm a star. 
So we ran her in a blue diamond preview. She got about three lengths and uh, it was a good run, but I felt she was going about as good as she can go. So we decided to take her to a stakes race in Tassie. Um, she ran in the Elwick Stakes and she was very unlucky and ran second. And the day after that run, the sister is in the yearling sales in Sydney, the classic sales. So I said to Betsy Sandbloom, uh, one of us needs to be buying this early, whether it's you or me, because I think the sister goes, good, she's black type now. You know, she's going to win a few hundred grand to meet a nice filly, so we should buy the full sister. So he uh, he did. He, he put his hand up and bought her for 40000 and uh, that filly went on to become I'm a Star. And, uh, yeah, she won 10 races. She won nine group races and uh, $1.56 million. So it was an unbelievable ride to have a filly that good, you know, present in the stable. We're, we're running and being competitive in you know, all sorts of group races. I think we started in the red in a, a Sunline Stakes at Mooney Valley. So she won she won one group one, five group twos, three group threes. Yeah, it's funny how things work out, isn't it? Because I think it was at the English Premier Sale. I was there with you one year looking at yearlings and one of the gentlemen that might have been standing with Matthew was Henry Field who said Matthew had his eye on a few horses at that sale and he said to Henry which one should I lean towards and he said well Shane Nichols is a good bloke so why don't you have a crack at one with him yeah that's pretty much how it, how it <laughs> unfolded that's uh yeah Henry Field from Newgate gave me a kick up and uh and James Heron that runs James Heron Bloodstock he uh he gave me a push as well we've been we've been overseas uh I guess that Shane McGrath's wedding only a few months before, so we'd had a few Guinness uh, in Ireland. You know, obviously when that happens, you're usually pretty good friends at the end of it. So she wins the Meyer Classic, and there was a bit of a build-up that week going on in uh, your your personal life. And and tell us a bit about that. I was actually, yeah, it was actually after that when she won the CUNY Stakes was the uh, oh, okay. build-up. So I had, uh, so we had, I'm a stars like a. I don't know, she's like two dollar favourite or dollar ninety favourite in the CUNY States with yeah. group two race Flemington. And she'd had a, a nail, a close nail in the foot, a little bit of an abscess brewing in a foot. So we had to rip the shoe off and hadn't been able to work it for a couple of days. And uh, my now wife Brooke was heavily pregnant with little Freya, who's now three years old, and Jew. And my mother had had a bit of cancer. And uh, she was going through chemo and she spiked the temperature on race morning. Uh, so lucky enough, my auntie took my mother to hospital and she was sorted. And Brooke managed to hang on and sit tight for another two days or, or a day and a half before she went into labour. The foot abscess sort of, we finally were happy with it at about 5.30am on race day. And uh, off she went to the races and, and really had to bust the boil with a win and... Uh, Dean Yendall Rotary got off and said, oh, she won, but I think I broke her. I said, no, don't worry, just a close nail. She was, that was uh, a bit of a, an indication of how tough she was and how much she could cope with. There are a couple of the big guns. What are some of the other horses you've trained that have been some of your favourites? Oh, I've had a few over the years that I've really liked. So I had a horse called KB Entor, who was one of the stable favourites. He was the last year my father bought before he passed away, so he's been dead now for... Uh, 18 years, coming up, yeah, coming up 18 years. And the last year you purchased for a good mate and good client, Kevin Wasey, who's still got horses in the stable to this day, went on to won about 10 races and he was a tough horse and he was, I thoroughly enjoyed him. Uh, we trained a horse called Wordsmith, who's a successful stand in Tassie and he was my first stakes winner. He won a group three at Mooney Valley and, and was placed in a Sandown Guineas. And look, there's, there's been a few others over the years. There's, 
in that Tahitian dancer win a spectacular stakes race at Eagle Farm just after Christmas. She was aiming Oliver at his absolute best back last at Eagle Farm and, and got up in the last strike. That was one of the biggest buzzers I've ever had in a race course. Race course. Even though it was only a listed race, it was, uh, it was a massive thrill. And you mentioned your father, father there, of course, John. He was a horse trainer as well. Yeah, he trained successfully in the Yarra Valley for years. And uh, look, we'd always growing up, and always working around the stables and helping out. It was never really anything I thought about being a career or a job. But it was just, you know, part of life. You sort of helped around the place. So we worked in the stables on and off and did a bit of travelling, a bit of looking around. And then I came back and I, I sort of worked in the stables and did a bit of breaking in and worked with a vet and worked with a dentist and, and uh, a few other things. And, and I, I actually uh, went and managed the stock feed and grain business and we bought that. Ran it for a number of years. You got the the property down there at Murdoch. It's a beautiful property. Tell us a bit about how you come to Mornington. Obviously, from um, the Yarra Valley originally, and there were some issues up there with the track at Yarra Glen that you had to make a move. Yeah, so we we were in the Yarra Valley during the Black Saturday Five, and it was a disastrous time. Like we lost we lost friends, and we had friends lose homes and and loved ones, and oh, it was just a and the consequences of that, those fires were the, the Yarragan Racecourse where we trained was down in the, on the river flats. So when the rainfall fell in the valley, before the fires, 17% of the water used to make it to the river. Um, and then after the fires, 70% used to make it to the river. So there's no undergrowth to slow the water down. So obviously when it got to the river flats, it just washed the racecourse away. So they repaired it a couple of times, but they... It just uh, kept washing away, and then they decided that they were no longer going to continue trading there, and, and our and our grass track compromised as well due to holes and things. So we had to relocate. So I said to um, Brooke that I want to go somewhere where I want to live. I don't want to go somewhere where it's not a lovely place. So we had a look around, and we found some boxes to be rented off Dean Monet's at Mornington, and we thought we'd give this a go for two or three years and just see whether the business can cope with that before we buy. Um, so we did that with a bit, a bit of luck and a bit of success. We had some nice horses there. Like I'm the general. We had early in the piece. He won at Flemington, went and ran in the Magic Mears on the Gold Coast. And, and there was a bit happening there. So we stayed at Dean's, which was good, you know, right off the track there. So it kept our costs fairly low for about two and a half years. And then we bought 25 acres, about eight k's out the road at Memorial Duck. And, and we've got uh, 36 boxes here and... Oh, I don't know how many spelling paddocks, 20-odd spelling paddocks and some yards and treadmill and a track, and we're about 12 k's from Belnaring Beach, 8 k's from the race course. So we generally float everything in every day, um, and we tee off pretty early. We staff drive in, first staff member drives in about 10 to 3. So we're one of the we're one of the lunatics that, you know, first they're on the horse at 10 to 4, and, you know, we go like a school to cat till about 7.30, 8 o'clock, and we're, we're pretty much done, so... We like I like to work like that. Um, it does get a bit tiring at times, especially when you you know you've got to go to the races or the night races. But uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, it's, it's more expensive training out of a private center like this um, than on course, but it's far better lifestyle, and better for the horses. I think. I'm sure it makes it a bit easier if you're having four winners in the week as well. <laughs> it always makes that easier. That's true. And a lot of those horses are sourced from yearling sales across Australia and New Zealand. Of course, you've got a couple um, there of long-time clients that breed and obviously get horses from um, other people, new clients and things like that. I want to talk about the yearling sales in particular. What are the things you're looking for in a horse when you go to the yearling sales generally? 
I think they told Tommy he's an owner because <laughs> when we when we go to the sales and buy them, like we stump up, um, you know, the amount of times you buy a horse when when the hammer falls, you own a hundred percent of it. So we've got it's a it's a bit of a process. So we buy well up until this year we've been buying about twenty five yearlings a year the last two years, and this year we've only sort of managed to buy about fifteen or sixteen because of the um, this COVID time it, it's made it really restrictive to be able to buy yearlings um, because you know the sales changed and people haven't been buying as many shares so we've got a number of horses still with shares available that you know we've got to we've got to um, syndicate up so so we get the catalogue mailed to us a month before now we sometimes will get 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 on uh, on the road and we'll go around to all the studs or you know, Magic Millions and English might put a parade on um, through the Hunter Valley where you can go and do a lot of pre-inspections on the farm. So we do that. So we've got, that's for two reasons. One is to look at the horse and see how much it uh, changes between when you look at them and a month's time when they're at the yearling sales. Because a lot of them can change a fair bit. And it's also, you start owners, uh, some of the biggest clients. So it helps you form a relationship with a potential big client. And, you know, someone you want to be involved with. And they have little things that they like about, that you find out about their yearlings, such as this is a spitting image of its mother. And you can actually go and look at its mother. It's there. And, you know, she might have been a stakes winner. But yeah. she might not have been that big or robust or whatever the case may be. So we, when you go to the yearlings house, we don't tend to... So I look at a lot of horses and I look at a lot with Matt uh, Ellerton and Johnny McArdle. So we spend, we look at, I don't know how many thousand yearlings together a year. We do it together is because it, it just breaks the day up a little bit and, you know, we're all going to look at 80% of the catalogue. So we try and simplify that process. So our first point of call is to find the athlete. So a horse comes out of its box, it's got to look like an athlete. Then the second uh, phase of that is it's got to be correct enough that you think it can withstand training and then you open its pedigree page to see what you have to pay for it. And it's as simple as that. You look... I can love a horse, but if I know I can't sell it to my clients, well, it's pointless buying it because if I can't sell it, I can't afford to own it. So we bypass, you know, a number of horses that would be nice horses, but I can't buy them because I can't sell them. So we buy ones that our clients will be interested in and hopefully we break them up into, you know, you might have someone take 30% or 40 or 20 or 10 or 5 or a group takes 5. Um, but we cater for all numbers of clients, but that's a tricky bit. You know, we buy them off the sales companies and we've got to try and get them sold and paid for because you know, they don't give you the money for free. You're looking for an athlete. Typically, the best athlete goes for the most amount of money. How much does the formula change when you're looking at the lower end of the scale? You mentioned I'm the general. He was purchased for 35000 Band on the run, you said, was 25000 so there's a couple of really nice horses you've picked up there at that at that lower end. How much does it change there? It's funny, um, you know, they say beauty's in the eyes of the beer holder, but uh, we <laughs> like, we all see different things in a yearling. Now I can see a yearling self at six hundred grand that I think is just horrible and atrocious and awful and non-athletic. Um, it doesn't mean the horse is good or no good because I don't claim to be a great judge, but um, you do see that all the time. So it's it's what. It's what you've had success with. And sometimes there'll be a fault with a horse that you're not concerned about that, um, you know, it might have a little bit of an offset knee or it might have slopey pastons or, or it might just be a bit, whatever the case may be, a bit shallow, shallow girth or something. Um, and you don't, you're not concerned about that, but it might put someone else off. But you've got to try and find 
you know, we all find the obvious one, the beautiful, perfect year, and we all see that. And it's whoever's got the biggest checkbook buys it um, with the fat pedigree. But it's, the key to buying yearlings is to buy a yearling that's good, that's got a little fault you can put up with, or it's a little bit small, or whatever the case may be, but you've got to try and pick the needle out of the haystack that you can buy it there. Because, you know, I, when you're buying these horses for your clients, you, you want to be respectful of money, because as soon as you don't respect money, you don't have any of it. I'd like to buy what I consider value for my client. Now, the same thing with, I said before, about buying... Uh, band on the run came out of Easter 2. So they used to have the Easter 1 sale and the Easter 2. They've changed now. But that Easter uh, 2 sale, people look at all these magnificent yearlings with great pedigrees, and then you get to the Easter 2 and they might lack a bit of pedigree or, or a bit of type. Like I bought um, Land of Plenty out of there for 20000 and he won a two-rack handicap group one. So, you know, they're, they're, they're there in that sale. If you can look hard enough and do enough work, you can find them. I was going to bring him up, but I just wasn't sure if it was still a bit raw or not. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was interesting. Look, I I bought him, I syndicated him up, and uh, one fellow had a large share, and, and we actually got really big offer to go to Hong Kong, um, and we went through the sales process, and I got paid the money, and and then the major shareholder said, "Give the money back. I'm sending the horse to Mick Price." And, and yeah, everyone obviously knows the story that he went to mix and won a maiden and they got another big offer for Hong Kong but they knocked back and then he went to Grand Bay and then he went to Darren Weir's and, and, and he won a few races and won a Turek and then he went to Kieran Mars and then I think he went to the Snowdens. Yeah, the Snowdens. And I think at the end there he had a, he must have had a problem with a fetlock joint or an operation or something and he, he actually passed away. Um, had must have had complications. I don't really know the ins and outs but uh, Beautiful horse and unfortunate that he passed away because he probably would have had a staying career. He was a he was still a, a bull. Uh, just before we wrap up, you're, you've mentioned that you've still got shares available in some yearlings. How do the listeners get in touch with you? They want to race a horse with Shane Nichols, the beautiful picturesque Mornington there. How do they get in touch with you? There, so the easy way to go to the website, www.shanenicholsracing.com.au and then there's a horses available page. So we've got about seven or eight, some with little shares available, some with larger shares available, but depending on what you like, we bought a lovely uh, awesome rock colt in in um, Perth that was the dearest awesome rock, I think, sold in, in Australia this year. He's such a nice horse with a good pedigree. Um, we had to stump up 165 for him, that is 19% left of him. Um, there's an Astern colt that I mentioned earlier, it's quite a fast horse. Now, I bought a street boss filly. Uh, out of an exceeding cell mare um, for 100. Now, she's the same cross as French Boss and also Petite Falou, all those are a street boss out of exceeding cell mare. So that's been a really popular cross. So we got one of those there with a, a little bit available. And there's Divine Profit and there's a few there. So, you know, if someone wants to go to the website and have a look, give me a call. Come and have a look. It's uh, fairly simplistic how we work it. And we, and we do pride ourselves on selling them at cost. So... What I pay, you pay. Uh, there's no hidden margins, no, nothing like that. They're all insured. They're paid up a race series. They've all passed their betting. And we found that to be the best received because I, I often say if you go to a syndicator, you pay full retail. If you go to a trainer, you pay wholesale. So, you know, it's the same product. It's just that there's one less person getting a bite out of the cherry. Uh, excellent stuff. Uh, thank you very much for, for coming on, Shane. As I said off the top, you've been a bit of a mentor to me throughout my journey in the racing industry with uh, my bloodstock endeavours and the like and of course spent a bit of time working with you there at Mornington so thank you very much for coming on the show really appreciate it
Shane Nichols there joining me on the line in the trainer's hut. That's it for episode three of the show. Thank you very much for listening. As we say at the end of the show, if you like what you're hearing, give us a follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple iTunes, um, the podcast app there, however you get your podcast, and share it with a friend. Let someone know. It really helps us uh, grow the show and leave a review there, which continues the show to get out there. Thanks very much for listening. It's uh, been great having your company and look forward to seeing you next week in the trainer's hut.